from Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to, call, to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's really good to see you. Minus 33 on the wind chill, but we did it. Hey, way to go. We actually have a full house. Some folks te texted me last night, are we meeting? And I was like, is it going to be Sunday morning? We'll be here. All right. Today is also special because we are starting three days of worship, prayer, and fasting together. We've not done something like this. We've done 24 hours of prayer where people sign up for slots. We've got uh, 60 hours now covered. Uh, you all have filled all of the slots, so thank you for that. We are super excited for what the Lord might do. We've got eight total gatherings for worship and prayer over the next three days, and we don't really know what to call it, you know. Um, I threw out some ideas like encounter, awaken, you know, renew, but they all just sounded like a health spa or like the brand for contact solutions, you know. It's like we're not really a name it and proclaim it, you know, campaign it kind of church anyways. I mean, we're not even on social media right now. Rule of thumb is if the early church didn't do it, it's probably not that important. Um, so we don't have a name for it, but we, we have a lot of expectancy. We have a lot of hope. We have a lot of desire that the Lord would would meet us in this, in this space, in this endeavor. This morning, we're also wrapping up this uh, winter series called Encounters with Jesus. And so we're going to look last at this encounter with Jesus that is actually one of the, the earliest encounters with Jesus. Like he's, he's a baby, he's about six weeks old, and he's carried into the temple by Joseph and Mary, and he doesn't say anything, he doesn't do anything. I mean, he's a baby. But, but his mere presence in the temple is overwhelming for those who are, who are prepared for his arrival, those who have been praying and waiting for this day. And this passage also has an emphasis on worship, prayer, and fasting that's just perfect for our week. And so what we're doing in, in these days, we're, we're simply seeking more of God in his presence. We're seeking for more 
of an awareness of, of a heightened alertness to the presence of God in our midst. We're praying for more of God in our own hearts, in our own church, in our own city, and across the world. So it's a little bit like an old school Baptist tent revival if you ever went to those. Uh, I've never been to one of those. I imagine this is a little bit more uh, like less hard preaching, more prayer, you know, some craft coffee. There's a few differences. But the thing today is, as we look at this passage, what I want to take this into prayer. But we're all Simeon's and Anna's now. We are, we are all worshiping and praying in, in the sanctuary, in the presence of God, waiting on our King, waiting for the Lord to return, but in the meantime, waiting for, for an increased sense of His presence in our midst. And so that's where we're going this morning. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to, to reveal this to us. Father, You know us, You see us, You know our hearts. You know that we are often just struggling spiritually. We're often lukewarm, feeling dry and, and disconnected, so weak in prayer and worship. But we also know that you are seeking worshipers. Your eyes are, are searching throughout all the earth for those who are committed to you. You delight in those who delight in you. And so, Lord, right now we're just saying, here, here we are. Here's, here's what we've got right now. Will you increase it? We submit ourselves to you, Lord. We, we surrender these days to you, God. At the start of a new year, we give you this, this year. Lord Jesus, reveal your glory to us. Holy Spirit, fill this space and renew our hearts. Father God, renew us. And through us, would you renew and revive our little city. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 25. Our passage begins with Joseph and Mary coming into the temple with baby Jesus. And as I said, he's about six weeks old. This is the time for a purification ceremony. And they've brought uh, an offering with them that was, uh, that was commanded in the law of Moses. And they're actually bringing uh, an offering that's um, sort of like a caveat. It's, it's the smallest allowable offering. It was one that was allowed for families that were especially impoverished. And so they've, they've brought in their, their little offering. And it's in this moment that they meet two characters. Verse 25, there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who is righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he entered the temple courts. And so Simeon is not a, a priest or a Levite. He is just an, an ordinary guy who, is, who has given himself to prayer and, and the Lord has blessed him with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's rare at this point. Remember, anything up to Acts 2, it's very rare for anybody to have an experience of the Holy Spirit. Some people received it for a task or for a season. It seems like the Holy Spirit was on David throughout his life. But here we see the Holy Spirit of God descending on Simeon, allowing him to wait for the arrival of the Messiah. And so he's been checking in on the temple. He's, he's praying. He's, he's moved by the Spirit in this instance to come into the temple. And as he does, Joseph and Mary come in with Jesus. Simeon is overwhelmed with joy. 
And he, and he sings out. I don't know if you've caught this in the scriptures, but how often people have a, have a sense about God and they immediately just start pouring out praise to him. You see it all over the scriptures. Here's what Simeon sings. Sovereign Lord, I won't sing it because, you know, I won't sing it. As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, it's not just Simeon. There's another character, Anna. We see her in verse 36. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting, and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And so Anna is a, is a prophet. She's a prayer warrior. She like literally lives in the temple. She's just been lo there longer than anybody. Nobody's got, you know, the, the courage to ask her to leave. She's got the most faith out of anybody. So they just let her like put up a cot somewhere. She lives there. She's worshiping and praying for six decades, just pouring out her heart, waiting on the Messiah. And the Lord reveals to her that this young child is the Christ. And so she too approaches Joseph and Mary and just pours out her praise to God and then speaks a blessing over them. This is a, a, a beautiful passage, an incredible scene I mean, just the mere presence of Jesus, the baby, causes this, this exceptional, extraordinary reaction for those who are waiting for him. I think there's two things that we need to see right off the bat. And the first one is simply that these folks are not too old to be passionate about the Lord. They are not too old to be passionate about the presence of God. See, our, our youth-obsessed culture has often gotten into our minds in the church, and so we don't really have a high view of our elders the way that we should, the way they did in biblical times. At the same time, those who are a little bit older, maybe say 60-plus, might be tempted to, to kind of go along with the ways of the world and just begin to step back in that season of life. Begin to let the, the younger folks take the charge. They've got all the energy. Let them be passionate about the Lord. Let them fast. Let them worship. We'll just kind of slip in and out of the back and write some checks. But man, that is not the biblical vision. That is not Simeon and Anna. They are giving their lives to the presence of God. Their passion for him has only been increasing year after year, decade after decade. And I'm so, so thankful that we've got a couple gray hairs in here. I am so thankful for the way those of you who have joined in the last few years have been pouring out your lives in this church. I mean, we have some real Simeons and Annas in this room. People who are not content to just, you know, draw off savings, work on their short game. But no, they are, they are here. They are in community groups. They are serving in kids. They are giving their lives to the Lord just like you would in the, any other season of life. And so if that's you, if you're 60s, 70s, even above, we want to say, man, we need you. We are so glad you are here. Please do this with us. Walk with us. Lead us. We don't know what we're doing. Please be a part of this. Lead us in your passion for the Lord. All right, now the second thing 
is that there's some theological significance here as well. The reason why they are old, and, and this actually represents something big, it's because they actually represent the, the old covenant. And so in this passage, Simeon and, and Anna, they're old, but Jesus is young because this is a sort of transitional moment in the kingdom of God. The old is passing away and the new is arriving. The old has gone. The new is here. I mean, Jesus himself is the new covenant. The old now can pass away knowing that the Messiah has come. And so Simeon and Anna, they've spent their lives in worship and prayer and fasting, and they are not disappointed. Not a moment of that was wasted. Now, did folks think they were, were odd? You know, their peers probably thought they were a little bit odd. But they don't, they don't care. They are giving themselves to the presence of God. They're odd folks, but only in comparison to the world around them. I mean, they're only odd compared to the, the sort of lukewarm, uh, you know, in and out of the temple kind of Israelites. But, but in terms of the overall kind of story of the scriptures, these are the exact sort of folks that God loves to, to show himself to. The exact kind of people that God loves to work in and through. I mean, the whole story beginning to end is about ordinary people moving along the, the story of God's redemption in significant ways. I shared a couple of these in my, my pastor's newsletter this week, but there's a number of instances where God's people come together, recognize a, a moment of crisis or opportunity, and they begin to cry out to God. And they consecrate themselves or they, they set aside a few days or even weeks to simply seek the Lord in prayer, to worship Him, to fast, and to pray. And John, or sorry, Joel 1, God is lamenting the state of the people's faith and he speaks through the prophet, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. And Acts 13, as the early church was spreading beyond Jerusalem, the apostles and believers are gathered in Antioch for worship and prayer and fasting. And the Holy Spirit actually speaks to them and says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the job that I have for them. In each example, people are, are seeking the Lord and God shows up. Each person probably would have seemed a little bit odd at first, but they could see their cultural moment with clarity, whether it was crisis or opportunity, and they responded with an intensified season of spiritual activity and longing. And this is where we are as a church. We're not in a moment of, of crisis at all, thankfully. But we are at a moment of opportunity. And as we, as we look out across our country and sort of the whole Western world, I think you could argue that we are spiritually in crisis. We are certainly in decline, the fastest spiritual decline in, in American history. We see this in our own city. Churches in general are, are declining. All, all but a few churches are smaller than they were before COVID. Not another church has been established and, and, is, and is going now since us six and a half years ago. And so we are, we are not keeping up as believers with population growth, not even close. So we are in a season of decline. And yet when you look around the church, you might not know it. Because God has been doing something incredible here. He's been, he's been awakening people in their faith. We've seen people baptized. We've seen children dedicated to the Lord. We've seen teenagers being raised in the Lord, raised in the faith. 
We've seen people find profound inner and physical healing in this space. We've seen amazing, beautiful growth in, in every possible way. And so you put these things together and you realize that we're in a season of both decline and opportunity. And especially at the start of a new year, it's the perfect time to say, Lord, what do you want here? Not God, will you, will you bless our plans? We've been scheming at the whiteboard and, and we've got something we think we're good, but will you just kind of, you know, speak a blessing over it? That's not what we're doing. We're sitting open-handed before the God of the universe saying, what would you have, Lord? Speak to us. Your servants are listening. What do you want to do in us? What do you want to do through us this year? This is our, this is our posture. I thought of that verse in, in Acts 15. I, it never really made sense to me, probably until this past week. There's this little verse where, where it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to all of us that we like, did something. It was the Jerusalem Council. I'm like, what does that mean? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit in us to, to do this thing. But as we were praying as leaders these past few weeks, it was kind of that sense. It was like, hey, this seems like a good idea. It seems like the Spirit has put this on all of our hearts. It seems good to the Holy Spirit in us that we would set aside a few days for worship, prayer, and fasting. I don't know how else to explain it, but at least there's some biblical precedent. Simeon and Anna, 20 centuries ago, worshiping and waiting. And I wonder, and I'm almost completely sure that they were ordinary people like you and me. They had seasons of, of incredible passion and seasons of just utter darkness. Times of disappointment. Seasons where they just felt dry and disconnected. I don't think they were necessarily super believers. I think if you could ask them, and, and Lord willing, one day we'll be able to ask them, you know, what was it like in those days? I think they would say, we just kept showing up. We didn't always feel it. We weren't always, you know, on fire in the temple, but we just kept coming back and coming back and putting ourselves in the way of God. And in particular, there's these three things that they devoted themselves to. The first is worship. And true worship isn't just singing in the church together, although that's wonderful and I look forward to it every week. But true worship is saying with David in Psalm 27, one thing I ask for, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on his beauty. I mean, true worship is taking whatever's on the throne of our hearts off, setting it aside, setting aside our, our, our obsession with ourselves and saying, Lord, here I am. I, I praise you. I sing your praises. And worship is not only a, a response to what God's doing in us, but it's a way to actually stir up our heart for the Lord. So when you don't feel like singing, that's actually the best time to sing. When you don't feel like engaging in the presence of God or you just feel spiritually dry, that's actually one of the best times you can put on a worship album or gather with your people and sing to the Lord. Second thing they gave themselves to was prayer. And we see in the book of Acts, we actually see it all across 2,000 years of church history that in every new movement of God's presence, there's a small group of people praying just beforehand. Like every time there's an awakening, an outpouring of God's presence, you can trace it back to people praying just beforehand. And I'll admit, this, this stretches my Reformed theology, which I love so much. It, it challenges me. 
But you see it all over the scriptures. God responds to prayer. God waits for us to pray and then he fulfills his plans and purposes. He is, he is patient enough to hold back until we seek him and we pray for it. And then he is delighted to say, yes, yes, my son, yes, my daughter. I've been waiting to do that. Thank you for asking me. Jesus himself said over and over, this is just one example from John 14. I will do whatever you ask of me in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, we're not just asking God for, for things or for stuff or for better circumstances. We're asking him for more of him. Like that's the prayer that he most delights in out of us. We're simply asking for more of him. Lord, we need you. We're desperate for you. We're hungry for you. And not like the impressive, like burning with spiritual hunger. No, like just hungry. We need a meal. We feel our, our lack more than anything. And then the third thing is, is fasting, worship, prayer, and fasting. Many years ago, there was a spiritual author that wrote almost everywhere, at all times, fasting has held a place of great importance since it is closely linked with the intimate sense of religion. Perhaps this is the explanation for the demise of fasting in our day. When the sense of God diminishes, fasting disappears. Now, fasting is one of the most intimate spiritual disciplines. It's one of the most challenging spiritual disciplines. As I said last week, I do not enjoy fasting at all. I enjoy feasting. But the reality is when intimacy with God diminishes, fasting is one of the first things to go individually as well as congregationally or across a whole church culture. But what fasting is, is, is a recognition of, first and foremost, what food is. Food is a gift from God. Food is a, is a regular reminder for us that God provides for all of our needs. That we are not God, but he gives food to us. Even if we've got it in our pantries, it is his food that he is giving to us. And so every time we feel the, the smallest bit of hunger... We can say, Lord, you are my gyra provider. You give me every good thing. I have nothing apart from you. And that's where fasting can be so, so beautiful and so powerful because you're just hungry all the time for a while. And it's hard and you're cranky. I mean, if, I don't know how many people are actually going to fast for three days. That's, that's not the point. But we might be a rough bunch by Tuesday night. Like you might come to that last worship gathering and people are just just cranky but then we'll eat and we'll be glad and that's fasting every time you feel hungry simply pray god help me to hunger for you more than i'm hungering for food help me to want you more than i want food right now and the exact type of fasting isn't the thing some of you are going to choose to fast from things other than food some of you might choose just a, a meal to skip others a day others will go all three days I remember when I was first learning to fast in my early 20s, I, I had planned, I had great plans for a three-day fast, and maybe 10 or 12 hours in, I ate an entire bag of chips. Just could not go anymore. I was just like shamefully eating all of these chips. But I look back and I'm like, man, praise the Lord, you made it 10 or 12 hours. That was, that was a little step along the way. You know, praise God, young Jeremy. 
Man, don't make it a whole thing. You know, like it's not about, it's not about self-discipline. It's not about self-righteousness. It's about dependence on the Lord. So however you, however you choose to fast these next couple days, just be reminded of your complete dependence on the Lord. So back to Simeon and Anna. For them, it was a time of, of cultural darkness, about 400, 450 years with, with basically nothing for the people of God. No prophets, no word of the Lord, nothing, nothing encouraging, nothing supernatural has happened. And so as things got darker, Simeon and Anna just go deeper. Now, that's a great word for us today. As things are getting darker spiritually and culturally around us, that's a call for us to go deeper into worship and prayer and fasting. As a result, Simeon and Anna, I love this, they got to see more than anyone else got to see. You think about that? I mean, at this time, you know, for these basically 30 years, other than Joseph and Mary, the only people who have insight into this child who's being raised in Nazareth, it's Simeon and Anna. I mean, they got to see something that nobody else got to see. They got to hold Jesus Christ in their arms because they had been devoted to worship and prayer. Because they wanted it more than anybody else. Night and day, they were putting themselves in God's presence. And it seems like God just says, you know what? I've got something for you. Before you go, I'm going to blow you away. I'm going to let you hold the Messiah. When you give yourself to prayer, you see things that other people don't see. You notice things that other people don't notice. You see answered prayer that other people don't see. When there's unanswered prayer, you can make sense of it in a way that others can't. But when you are praying, you get to see things that nobody else gets to see. And Simeon and Anna, they, they're actually sort of like in-between characters or like transitional characters. As I said, this is a moment where we're bridging old into new. They're essentially like Old Testament prophets that have, that have made it into the, the New Testament. They're, they're longing for, for the arrival of the Lord. Their minds are set on hev heaven, but their feet are still on earth. They knew what was coming was going to be so much greater. And so in this way, they're, they're the perfect models for us to imitate today. Like I said, we can all be Simeons and Annas in our world. Their hearts and minds were living ahead of their bodies. For them, it looked like longing for the Messiah. For us, it looks like anticipating Jesus' return and in the meantime, seeking more and more of his presence in our midst. Seeking a new outpouring of his spirit, a new movement of the gospel in the world. In the same way, we are, we are in between characters. We are, you know, transition characters between the old and the new. Cam sent me a, a podcast this week. These, um, these things are interesting. They're like interviews or like radio shows, but you, they're not live and they live in your phone. It's, it's wild. Scientists still aren't sure how they work. But on this podcast, you can tell I'm not a big podcast guy, but I did listen to this one. It was not that funny of a joke, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> a, a pastor was talking about how, how he, had, he had felt called to give his life to praying for revival in his city. So everything he does is, is all kind of aligned around this goal of praying for revival in his city. 
And he said, people often think that's pretty odd. He, he feels odd around other, you know, even pastors and ministry leaders. But one day an, an older guy said, you know what? You're not weird. You're just early. And think about it. Like if somebody is, is sitting alone in a dark movie theater, that's, that's weird, right? But if a movie is about to begin and they're just the first ones there, they're not crazy. They're just early. You know, the sound team got here at 7 a.m. Shout out, sound team. I don't know how much colder it was even then. I mean, who goes to a school on a Sunday morning at 7 a.m. in that kind of weather? I mean, that's crazy. Unless you're on the sound team setting up for a church, then you're not crazy. You're just early. Man, in the same way, think about the promises of God. One day the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. We know that. One day every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord and every knee will bow before him. We know that. One day there will be another great awakening, another Welsh revival, another East African revival. We don't know where, but we know that it will happen. Scores of, of people will flock to the scene in that moment, and a few brave souls will have been there all along praying for it. They'll get to see things that nobody else got to see. All along it looked like they were crazy, but now we can see that they were just early. And this is my, my hope for us as a church. It might seem odd right now, but my prayer is that looking back, people will just say, oh man, they were early. They just got there a little bit ahead. We're simply just, we're praying for more of God in our hearts, in this church, in the city. We want to see churches, not just us, but churches worshiping and praying with an unbelievable vibrancy this year. We want to see believers going out and, and sharing their faith like they've never done before, seeing hundreds of people coming to faith. We want to see new churches being planted with hundreds of people joining them from unchurched backgrounds. We want to see new ministries and nonprofits serving the practical needs of our city. We want to see missionaries being sent out from here and from every church in town. We want to see more and more of God's presence. Simeon and Anna, they didn't, they didn't know what the kingdom of Jesus was going to look like. I mean, they were probably just thinking to themselves, what, what in the world happens next? I mean, on the other side of us, how much more incentive do we have? How much more strength do we have in what we're praying for, knowing that Jesus has, has gone to the cross, has been resurrected, is now at the right hand of God in heaven? But they just kept coming back, right? Just kept going to the sanctuary, kept praying, kept fasting, kept worshiping. And it's in this passage, Simeon says to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And a sword will pierce your own heart too. I mean, people had wildly different responses to Jesus. The proud fell into hatred of him. The humble rose to accept him. It's the same today. Jesus is, is sort of a, a dividing line between people. Wildly, vastly different responses to him. And that's right, as we said last week. I mean, if Jesus is who he says he was, he's either everything or he's nothing, and, and nothing in between makes any sense. 
If we consider the claims of Jesus and what he did on earth, he's either everything or he's nothing. And it's up to us to to decide for each of us, who do we believe him to be? How are we going to follow him in this life? In our passage, Jesus was led into the temple as a baby. 30 years later, he was led out of the temple to be crucified. Joseph and Mary gave the best offering that they could afford. Later, Jesus would give the best offering that he could afford. He gave everything. He gave his life. Mary's soul was pierced with grief on Friday, but it was filled with joy on Sunday when he was risen. And now, in fulfillment of Simeon's words, this Jesus has become a light for revelation to all nations. From this moment, the gospel goes forth into every nation and tribe on earth. Anyone who comes to him gets full and eternal salvation. And so we get to be like Simeon and Anna, longing, looking forward, humbly waiting for our king. I was praying this week, and I was specifically praying yesterday, just asking, Lord, what do you, what do you want to show us in these next few days? Just Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Lord, what do you want to show us? And I don't know if this is directly from the Lord. If you're charismatic, you can call it a word of knowledge. If you're less charismatic, it's just what I came up with. Either one's fine with me. But here's, here's my sense of what, what God wants in these next few days. Why we're doing the worship prayer and fasting. My sense was simply him saying, I am worth it. You will not be disappointed. Any, any amount of worship, prayer, and fasting, I am worth it and so much more. One day, everyone will see it. In the meantime, we're not crazy. We're a little bit crazy, but mainly we're just early. So we've created this space. There's seven more prayer and worship gatherings over the next three days. And together we're praying, come presence of God. Let's pray. Lord God, it's so amazing, it's so gracious, it's so generous the way you reveal yourself to your people. I'm just thinking of the, of the Old Testament, of the New Testament, the, the ways that you just show up in people's lives unexpectedly and just, and just blow us away, God. We're, we're not after an experience, but we want more of you. And so, Lord, again, we just say we commit these days to you. It's not about the days. It's not about the gatherings or the, the whatever. But, Lord, would you... Reveal yourself to us. Lord, I'm, I'm thinking of the person who's just struggling to engage in prayer, the, the person who's just struggling to connect, maybe even for years has just been going through the motions. But Lord, I, I'm so encouraged that, they're, that they just keep coming back. Lord, would you meet them where they are and would you bless them for that, Lord? For those who, who feel like, man, I, I'm sometimes passionate. I'm, I'm mostly just somewhere else. I'm not really the, the personality for this kind of thing. I'm a more reserved kind of person. Or would you show them that this is not about personality, that the, this is not just a, a moment, this is not a church camp high, but this is a life of, of eager devotion and, and total dependence on you. 
Lord, whether somebody is, is 12 years old or 80 years old, may everybody in this room know that you are for them and they can seek more of you. This is not just for some other person, some other group in this church, but this is for everyone here. And Lord, we just say, here we are. Would you show yourself to us? We love you. Your love is better than life. Reveal yourself to us. We're here. In Jesus' name, amen.